Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm your host, Ian Fisher, and um, we've done it. We've made it to December. All the long hours that you've spent writing your application essays and putting together your college list, sending off those letters of recommendation, have led us to the final month of the year when the end is, I hope, insight. Now, we've got a great show for you today that talks about beginnings, middles, and ends. In our final segment, we'll be covering part two of a topic we discussed last week, how to choose a repayment plan for your student loans. That comes at the end of your education, and it comes at the end of today's show. For those of you who are in the middle of things, we're continuing our supplemental essay series with a discussion about the essay supplements for Boston College and Colgate. Whether those schools are first or last on your list or somewhere in between, we'll be devoting the middle of our show to those topics. But let's start with some new beginnings. December is the month that many students begin to hear back from colleges. If you've applied ED somewhere, this month could be the month you learn where you'll attend next fall. It might be the month you begin to receive acceptance letters. Hopefully it's not the month you decide to begin working on your apps. So our first full segment today will assume that you've got a lot done and have already made some submissions and we'll cover the decisions that come back in the month of December and how to get yourself ready for them. Joining me to mull it all over is my colleague down in Savannah, Georgia, Tova Tolman. Hey there, Tova. What's going on today, Ian? Um, not too much. I am getting ready for my students to start to hear back from colleges. And I, I suppose we're recording this on November 29th. That's so about two weeks away. Um, and it's always a time I think that students anticipate and don't quite know what to expect. Um, so let me ask you this. I'm going to start with a really simple one. Why would students be hearing back from colleges in December? Don't they usually hear back in the spring? Ah, well, some schools have already begun to notify. In fact, one of my students has already heard from all but one of her schools. Uh, the students we're going to be talking mostly about today are probably applying in some form of early deadline process, and there are two main kinds. Uh, what we're going to talk about today mostly are early action, early decision kinds, but the other kind, the ones that have probably even... So the other kind is uh, rolling decision, and a lot of students have been getting decisions back from colleges throughout the fall. When a college finishes reviewing an application, they don't wait till they've reviewed all of the applicants. They usually, in batches, maybe every two, three weeks, already begin notifying students. So those students who maybe applied through a rolling process already in September and October are beginning to hear but those early action and early decision students are getting back their decisions, as you said, mid-December or so, late December. And that's a pretty exciting time. I, I had a student uh, just yesterday, I sent him an email and I said, hey, what's what's the status of your applications? We've got to make sure to, to get these things submitted. And uh, I know you've been visiting some colleges and putting in some work, but um, can you let me know where, where you are? And, and he said, um, oh, yeah, I've submitted all those apps and I've gotten into two schools already. <laughs> and I was sort of like, these are the things you're <laughs> supposed to tell your college know. counselor, man. Um, I want to know that stuff. That's great. So, um, right. yes, some students are already excited, even if they're not sharing it with 
with their yeah. college counselor who would love to know that stuff. Um, so we want to celebrate your wins with you. <laughs> we want to celebrate their their community wins, and I'm I'm really excited for this this student as well. He only applied to five schools, but he knew which five he wanted, and to hear back nice. from two already is really fantastic. Um, so awesome. let's talk about some students that are looking at early action and early decision. Maybe we can just start with um, early decision as a possibility. So. You've applied ED to a school. That usually means that that's your top choice. It better mean that's your top choice because if you get in. I would in, hope. Yeah, I would hope so. Because if you get in, you have to go. Now, there are three possible outcomes that you might get from an early decision application. What are those three outcomes? Oh, I love these. I know the answer to this one. Uh, you could be admitted, and that would be a happy day for all. You are committed to going. You have signed the dotted line, and that's it. You send in your deposit within 24 hours, and you're done. You withdraw your applications from all other schools. That's, right. uh, that's the best scenario. That's the admit. Uh, you could be denied, which is a bummer, but... Uh, I kind of prefer this one. It's, it's ripping the Band-Aid off to the, the third possible outcome. You know it's not going to happen. You know it wouldn't have happened no matter when you applied. If they thought there was any possibility of you maybe being a stronger candidate later on, they'd hold on to you. So a deny, while it's harsh and it hurts, it has some finality to it, and, and there's, some, there's some grace to that. And then that is your decision for the year. You cannot reapply come regular decision just two weeks later. So you could be admitted, you could be denied, or you could hang out in the middle uh, and receive what is called a defer or a deferral. Basically, they are saying, we are not ready to make a final decision on your application. We need more time. We need more information. We need to see maybe what the larger pool is going to look like, what the strength of the larger applicant pool will be. Maybe we want to see more information from you. Maybe you've been on an upward trend and we want to see where your grades are headed. You've done really well so far each year a little better. We want to see more of your senior year grades. Whatever the reason is, we're not ready. So we're going to move your application to that regular decision pool, reevaluate your application at that time with any new information you send our way, and then you'll receive a decision uh, with everyone else, um, April 1 at the latest, if not late March, and you're released from that binding agreement. You no longer have to go, and then you'll get your decision in just about two and a half or so more months' time. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, defers are sometimes complicated, especially in terms of the action that a student needs to take to follow up and when, and uh, I would encourage all of our listeners to come back and, and listen to our show next week when we talk about specific steps that should be taken after a deferral and when those steps should be taken. And, you know, hopefully that's not something that you have to uh, wrestle with, but if it is, then it's really great to, to hear our perspective on that. And that's coming next week. I want to go back to the, the sort of binary decision of getting in or, or being denied. Um, obviously the decision itself is not binary because deferral is, is a very common outcome for students. But I want to ask you about a specific case where a student is denied at an early decision school. Um, how does that potentially affect what their next steps are with respect to other schools? I know they can't reapply to that same school in the same ap application year, but how might um, a, a deny change what their strategy is uh, for the other schools on their list? I'd say it depends sort of where that school fell on their list overall in terms of likelihood of admission. 
I think that there's often a knee-jerk reaction after that, you know, settling feeling of being punched in the gut of not getting into mm-hmm. your first-choice school. After that goes away, there's some sometimes some panic of, oh, my God, I'm not going to get in anywhere. I better hurry up and go apply to a whole bunch more schools. And I would I would sort of pause on that unless this school was supposed to be a slam dunk, no problem, safety school for you. If this school was a reach, a challenge school, then it doesn't necessarily need to change your strategy or where you apply or increase any number of applications at all. It's very possible that it was a long shot. And while that's a bummer, uh, that's why you're applying to other schools. You couldn't count on this school to begin with. And hopefully you had a balanced list going in. But it is a good time to reevaluate and check and make sure you do have some other schools on your list that you are expecting some good news from. Right. I I have a student right now that I'm working with who is applying early decision to Columbia. Columbia, um, I think, is among, if not one of the, if not the most selective school that offers an early decision round. Um, There are only about half of the IVs even offer early decision as a possibility. And he sort of said, you know, what should I, I wait to see whether I get in ED before I submit my apps, which are already ready for other schools. And I said, yeah, you can go ahead and do that. You can wait if you want. You can save yourself some money on the application fees for those other schools. What I don't want you to do is to assume that if you don't get an early decision to Columbia, that there's something wrong with your application. Because it will be the first time you've heard back from a school. And if if it comes back in the negative, your immediate reaction might be to say, oh, what did I do wrong? And it might be nothing. It might just be that that's a super selective school. You didn't do anything wrong. It just happened to be very hard to get in, just like it is every single year. So you have to be, I think, cautious of you know, taking that sort of sample size of one and making some broad claims about what your overall applicant application looks like. Um, I want to give you a different Especially scenario. at a school oh, where 90% of the students were told no. Exactly. And even in the early round, which has sort of better statistics, it's still something like 75% of students um, or more, 75 to 80% are, are still not getting in in that early round. Um, but I want to give you a yeah. Oh scenario. no, I rounded up to get to to their early decision. It's like six percent in regular. Six <laughs> percent regular, yeah. Ten percent uh, early. It's tough. Um, but there are a lot of schools out there that offer early action. And I, you know, I had a student yep. I worked with a couple of years ago that every single school he applied to was an early action school. So he was going to hear back from everywhere by mid December, um, at least for the first time. And he might have gotten some deferrals, but. With early action, you hear back from more schools, you have more choices. Um, Let's say we're in a position where I've applied to a healthy number of schools that have early actions, five or six, um, and I get mostly bad news from those schools. What should my process be in terms of looking at at that outcome? That's discouraging, definitely. Uh, yeah. But but not reason for panic. You know, you are going to have a few more weeks then before a lot of those regular decision deadlines are coming up, and and sometimes even a full month. A lot of schools don't have January one, January two. They have January fifteen, or even a rolling process. But that is time to reevaluate to think. Was I being realistic and honest with where my numeric profile was falling? Perhaps I was overinflating the importance of that activity that I do, thinking that that would make up for the fact that my grades are a fair bit more modest or my test scores are uh, hundreds of points lower than where they're advertising their admitted student profiles to be. And that, that might be the time where you then do add 
what you would consider a, a true safety school or two. Ideally, we're always telling students you need at least two schools where you are sure you are going to both get in and be able to afford it. So if perhaps you weren't being really honest with yourself as to what those schools were, it's time to reevaluate and add. Uh, without panic, there's still time, and it can be done purposefully. And the good news is that your application's ready. It's just a question of making, mm-hmm. f- figuring out where else you want to send it to. So it's not going to take a ton of time and effort, uh, perhaps just a bit more research and a bit more thought. Right. And, and that's one of the things that I really love about the fact that these decisions come back around December 15th is that you still have another two weeks before regular decision for most schools. And that is time, you know, while you'd like to be spending your winter break relaxing and reading a book by the fire and, you know, whatever else you do with your family in the holidays, uh, you might <laughs> also have some time to work on some essays. <laughs> That's right. We do that on occasion. Um, but you might also be able to work on some essays and it's not going to be a huge amount of work. I think one thing that I would caution students again is against this. If you're not getting in early action to some schools, it's probably not a good idea to apply to even more selective schools in the regular round. Um, that uh, yeah. can sometimes be an indication of, of where your competitiveness is going to be. Um, what if, Toba, are there situations where if you're deferred by a whole bunch of schools in early action that you might be getting some information through decisions like that that, that can be helpful? Or is it just wait and see uh, kind of situation? I think sometimes schools are trying to figure out who is really all that interested. And that Mm -hmm. might be a good chance to check in with your guidance counselor at your high school to see if they are seeing any trends with your particular school, if they have any insider information. I'd say I had a lot of phone calls with guidance counselors after deferrals would go out to kind of gauge interest at certain schools that we had close relationships with. So if it's a school that you are really excited about and maybe you're surprised or uh, you're not just disappointed, but you really thought you had a pretty darn good shot and you're disheartened to see that deferral. Uh, I would listen closely to our segment next week for advice yeah. on what to do, but also check in with your guidance counselor at your high school. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice. Now, this is uh, the last scenario I want to give you is one that I think sometimes we run into and we can get kind of frustrated by as, as counselors, which is I've applied to some schools early action and I've gotten into a good number of them. Let's say I've applied to four early action schools and I've gotten into three. And now I go to my counselor and I say, I want to completely change my list because I've yeah. banked these three offers and so all the other schools that I like, I'm, I'm going to throw those out and I'm going to now shoot for the stars. Um, <laughs> you, you've made, you've already reacted with a, a sort of a guttural sound, ugh, right? But um, what, 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 how does that shift a student's list? Are there things that might change about how they approach the rest of the fall if they get some good news in early action? Yeah. Well, you know what? It reminded me of the other scenario. The student applied somewhere early decision. There, It's a binding decision, but it was a real reach. It was a really highly selective school. They got in and they think, whoa, maybe I was selling myself too short. Maybe I should have applied here, there, there. I'm going to now send other applications in just to see where else I might get in. I guess the question to ask here. Ian, is, is, uh, to steal a quote from one of our favorite uh, past coworkers, Karen Spencer, how many yeses do you need? How many noes can you handle? And the question is, if you can't handle all that many noes, do you really want to start throwing out a whole bunch of other applications that are probably going to end up being noes? 
if you're not yeah. really all that interested in that school, if you're just all of a sudden blinded by the prestige and the possibility of maybe gaining entry, you're going to have a hard time throwing together an actually thoughtful, meaningful, well-suited application in just two weeks' time. And I, I'd say ask yourself, are these really schools you had wanted to go to? And if they were, why didn't you apply to them two months ago? And why weren't they on your list two months ago? And perhaps these schools are the better fit and where you really want to be. And when the dust settles, where you might be happiest. Right. And, and nothing really meaningfully has changed. I mean, you've gotten some decisions from schools, but nothing about you and your application and your statistics, your scores, your grades has changed. You've just gotten mm-hmm. some information back from schools. And, and so I think it's really important to keep that in mind. It also tends to be the case that when students decide that they are going to all of a sudden shoot for the stars, they're not looking at schools that have pretty challenging essay supplements that you have to work on. It's not just a matter of what you said before, that your application is finished. It's it's a little bit easier to do some research and find some other schools. When you're aiming higher, it tends to mean more work. And so that can actually throw a real wrench in your holiday plans because now you're, you're writing 20 extra supplements as opposed to one or two. So I think that that's a really important thing for students to keep in mind. And, you know, my philosophy and attitude about this, as you just said, is, you know, why didn't you apply to it the first time? The idea is that when you put your college list together, you're choosing schools that you really like, that you're interested in attending. And the fact that you got into some of those shouldn't change the other schools you're interested in. Um, You know, if you ask a girl out to the prom and she says yes, you don't suddenly say, well, I wonder if I could go to prom with somebody who's more popular, right? You don't, you're happy because you asked that person to the prom. That's, that was the decision you made. That's the person that you wanted to ask. So um, I think it's a reminder, a nice reminder that you should feel confident in the fact that you like the schools you apply to. And if you're getting into them uh, in the early round, that's a good thing. And it doesn't mean that you have to change your approach to the college process. Is that something you would tend to agree with? Fullheartedly. And I don't like agreeing with you. So I say that with some reluctance, (laughs) but I fully agree, support. And I'd say when you get that good news back, it's time to celebrate and leave it at that. Yeah, Tova, I think that's great. Um, I don't like agreeing with you either, but I'm glad that we did a lot of it here on today's show. College admission is one place we can't agree. I want to thank you for for coming on the show and uh, best of luck with your holiday shopping. I hope you get that tent that you and your family have always dreamed of. (laughs) Thanks. It was yesterday. We're all set. All right, folks. When we come back, we will be diving in on some supplemental essay topics for paraschools in the Northeast, Boston College, and Colgate. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, 
What options are available to pay for college? And most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application? We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. In our next segment, we want to continue our series that explores supplemental essay prompts with the essays for Boston College and Colgate University. And as always, we'll be referring to the specific essay questions posed by these two schools, but I think you'll get some value out of the conversation, even if you aren't applying to them, because they have some prompts that are similar to what other schools are looking at. Don't skip ahead just yet. Now, if you're interested in learning more about the prompts for your schools of interest, you can look back into our archives. This fall, we've talked about LMU, Occidental, Carnegie Mellon, Syracuse, Georgia Tech, and Emory. Dig in, have a listen, see what we had to say about those specific prompts. Now, we're going to talk about the ones for BC and Colgate in more clear terms. If you want to pull those up to refer to them uh, and you're not driving, uh, that would be a great idea because we're going to talk about them with some degree of specificity. And joining me to help walk through these different prompts is my friend from out on Long Island, Kara Courtois. Welcome back to the show, Kara. Thanks, Ian. It's great to have you. So, let's see. What do you think? Um, Now, actually, before we start with either Colgate or BC... I want to ask you, because both of these um, schools say, please respond to one of the following prompts, and they give four mm-hmm. options that you can choose from. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you advise students to even start to think about choosing those prompts, especially given that you know we're in December now, students have probably written supplemental essays for other schools at this point. Um, what is a strategy for working smart that can help students to make a selection about what fits for them here? That's great. Great question. Um, I always say reduce, reuse, recycle but right around December 1st for sure, if not before. You know that usually what they've written before is 
probably had more time, you know, and energy put into it, that it's probably going to be better written than maybe sometimes starting from scratch. Plus, it's probably genuinely tapping into something that they sincerely want the admissions counselors to know about them. So definitely to be more efficient as well as probably more reflective overall if they have something they've written for another school that they can reuse and works appropriately or could be massaged without feeling like it's not answering the question, um, could be massaged a little bit to, to uh, fit into one of the prompts. Definitely, definitely yeah. feel no guilt about reusing something um, or reworking something slightly to, to work. Absolutely. And, that, and that's not just us on, on this side of the desk saying that. It's also really, I think, something that colleges would agree with as well, that they yeah. they are comfortable with you. You know, those essays that you've written for other schools are still representations of you and your ideas. And for mm-hmm. essay prompts like the ones at Colgate and BC that to some degree are, are continuations of personal reflection, it makes sense for you to re- reuse essay content. Um, yeah. Now, that said, you can you can run into some challenges by not answering the question or by apparently reusing an essay from another prompt yeah. that is somewhat related, but not the same thing, right? Yeah, um, how do you How do you advise sort of what is that massaging process look like and how can students be sure that the essay that they're reusing fits the question that's at hand? Mm-hmm. I usually encourage them first to read the prompt rather than to sort of look through the things that they've already written to see how they could fit it in, you know, just sort of just go with the genuine gut instinct, almost acting as if they haven't written something already to say, you know, which prompt speaks to you. And then to think back from there, oh, wait, I already might have answered this question, you know, in some way, shape, or form for another institution. So let me, you know, look through pieces. But I, I usually say, you know, kind of be certainly always, I mean, I feel like I say it in every conversation with a student, be genuine, you know, and think about, you know, your voice in each piece of writing, you know, as a genuine representation of who you are. Um, And then work backward from there because you don't have to recreate the wheel and feel no guilt about it, but to make sure that you're answering the question. Yeah, uh, answer the question. Make sure that you're clear of what the question is first before you're searching for work that you already have. And there's a a very nice specific example with BC and Colgate, both of their second options, what we would call option B, for their prompts are fairly similar. So Colgate reads, uh, at Colgate, we believe a diverse community is a strong community. Reflect on an experience that demonstrates your commitment to inclusion and diversity. Boston College says, when you choose a college, you will join a new community of people who have different backgrounds, experiences, and stories what is it about your background, your experiences, or your story that will enrich Boston College's community? Now, they both talk about diversity. They talk about community. There are some similarities there. One of the things I want to ask you is Colgate has a 250-word limit. BC has a 400-word limit. Let's say I write the response for Colgate. It fits ni- nicely to 250 words. It's a good essay. What do I have to do in terms of thinking about that 400-word limit? Do I need to extend it? Um, or am I okay with 250 words fitting in that space? I, I would say I, well, 100%. I never think you have to hit anywhere near that 400-word limit if you've answered mm-hmm. the question, you know, in full and feel like, look, I've said what I said, <laughs> you know, right. and 
this is it. But I, I doubt there would be an exact overlap for sure, um, even with some, some tweaking, and that there could be an opportunity to be slightly more reflective because BC gives you a little bit more wiggle room, perhaps right. to tell maybe it's a perfect example. I always think that the BC response, you know, we always report in every bit of the writing, show your readers who you are, don't tell them. And so right. showing through an example, I always encourage students, look for evidence in your daily life today uh, of where this diversity is showing up, whether, you know, in, in so many different ways, just try to show them. So it might be a, a, a more reflective answer in a 400-word response that you couldn't quite get out in 250. Right. And I think there's also an element of difference here between Boston College's essay really talking about you and your background, whereas Colgate talking a little bit more about how you engage with inclusion and diversity. And so it might be a little Mm -hmm. less personal in terms of storytelling, but might be a little more personal in terms of your thinking about those concepts of inclusion and diversity as being important for you. Um, mm-hmm. These are these tend to be tougher prompts, I think, for students to think about. They're things that we talk about all the time in the profession and get to engage with um, and that students start to engage with in college. I think some students are, you know, a little nervous about writing about diversity yeah. or about their background. What's some advice that you would give to students in terms of engaging that, that challenging topic? Well, uh, to be honest, I mean, I would, when given the option of four different prompts, a perfect example that even though I love the prompt and I'd love to read it as an admissions counselor, I definitely would say it would be a disadvantage if the student didn't feel genuine about it. And when given the choice to not answer that, like if that was the only prompt and they're writing for it, then they have to come up with something and still would encourage them to be genuine. But when given the choice, if they don't have something that they feel tied to uh, as a way to, you know, show evidence, then I would discourage them, you know, from trying to answer that question at all. One little follow-up here is that there is, Duke has an essay that is sort of similar to this one at Colgate that talks about mm-hmm. inclusion, diversity, background. And let's say I wrote it for, for Duke because I'm applying there, um, but I'm not sure I hit the mark. Like, I did my best. Um, what's the sort of strategy about reusing something that you're like, "Ah, I don't know if this is perfect versus doing something entirely different from scratch, choosing one of those other options? Um, That's a great question. I I don't know. I mean, it might be like a personal case, like how much time do you have? What are you willing to invest? How much does the other topic grab you? Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think there are probably students out there have that, essays they love and essays they don't love, um, and that's okay. Like, you can you can have different levels of, of quality and excitement about essays that you've written for mm-hmm. schools as well. Definitely. And I often say to students, whether it's the Common App essay, which is much longer, or these short responses, that's really the best way to know if you're comfortable and feel good about it, is if you can write a response to one of the other prompts and then just compare them. And at the end of the day, you might go back to that original response that you wrote for Duke that you weren't 100% about, but it's still better than the one you wrote for one of the other schools uh, or for one of the other prompts there. Um, But usually the best way to know that and just feel confident that you really went in no stone left unturned and did your best job is only 250 or 400 words here. You could probably, you know, write a comparison pretty quickly, at least to see if the topic looks like it's going to be stronger. Yeah, and you're going to have to write a lot more words when you get to college, so get used to it. Um, I, I, I want to ask you about, um, 
uh, option D for Colgate and option A for BC. There's some similarity there. I think a little bit of difference, right? So uh, for BC, they would say great art evokes a sense of wonder. It nourishes the mind and spirit. Is there a particular song, poem, speech, or novel from which you have drawn insight or inspiration? So again, a little bit more personal there. Now, the Colgate one that I think is somewhat similar, but different. Um, Colgate's core curriculum teaches students empathy, informed debate, and critical thinking. Please tell us what book or piece of literature you believe is important for the entire Colgate class of 2023 to read and why. how do you sort of recognize differences between choosing a book for an entire group versus reflecting on a piece of art or literature that is um, personally meaningful? I I would say there's probably going to be maybe just one or two sentences that would overlap there, you know, rather than an entire response, because it, it is really speaking to taking the response in a different direction. And it's presuming, of course, that you're using a book for the BC response as opposed to another form of art. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, that's the only way that you could recycle, you know, this one specifically or maybe um, a poem. But uh, the, I would imagine that it would only be a little bit of overlap. But again, it would probably set the stage, you know, really beautifully. Um, and I often find with responses like these, they almost write themselves, you know, that a student really either immediately you know, has an idea when they're going through the four responses of, oh, yeah, yeah, I really, I've been looking for an opportunity almost, you know, to write um, something along these lines to to really show the side of who I am that maybe doesn't, you know, show up as much. Yeah, and and what I really like about option A that I want to underscore is the the first sentence is, great art, art evokes a sense of wonder. And goes on to say, is there a particular piece of art from which you have drawn insight or inspiration. And I think what's cool is that it doesn't have to be something that you love, but something that you had maybe mm-hmm. a strong reaction to, um, yeah. you know, something that you you could have hated or that that was really sort of made your, your brain sort of turn around ideas. Um, and mm-hmm. so I think sometimes students will uh, use shorthand to describe essays, um, essay prompts. They'll say, oh, this is about a piece of art that I love it's not quite that. And I think you, you, you want to, yeah. especially with prompts like these that have detail, really, really be careful to see what the question is because it might lead you in a direction that could be really interesting for you. Completely. And and what I love about, to be honest, I think these are really thoughtful questions. And back when BC didn't have a supplement, I think they were missing some of these kind of meteor, um, more philosophical opportunities to engage with students. And I'm sure they really find some really... Um, that they're able to get even, uh, you know, stronger students or at least enjoy the reading process as a reader, I would think, um, to be able to engage and see who gets that from a response as opposed to, like you said, kind of minimizing it to what's my favorite piece of art, (laughs) you know, overall. I I really enjoy this question, especially when a student gets that part of the question um, and wants to and is willing to engage with it because it takes a little bit of courage you know, to do something like that in your writing. It does. It does. And and I think 
necessarily, I mean, students are more likely to put energy and effort and thought into a school that they really love. I mean, if you've been wanting to go to Boston College since you were 12 years old, when it comes time to write this prompt, you're going to be really, really thoughtful about how you respond to it. If Boston College was a last minute addition by your college counselor because they thought it might be a fit for you, you might be a little bit more dashed off in the way that you respond to it. Yeah. You've got to understand that an admission officer is going to read those same essays with the same starting point, the same blank slate. And it's important to put a level of thought into the essay um, that shows that you care about the school. Um, (laughs) Just in, in terms of what you know about these two schools and especially I think what's, what is demonstrated through the prompts, are there any other sort of pieces of advice that you would give to students as they approach BC or Colgate, maybe one specifically or both, um, for, for how students might think about their responses here? Well, I think always in general, I like to think of a supplement because so many schools don't have supplemental essays that to know that this reader is going to do the extra work to get through there and that they, you know, to read through the essay as well as the admissions committee itself usually came up with these questions year over year and tweak them because they wanted to bring out certain attributes, you know, um, Mm -hmm. that you can't, you know, it's one more space to say, you know, use this as an opportunity to maybe bring up part of your personality that you might not be able to have shown a light on in another part of the application, meaning that if you didn't write your common app essay about it, but there's this you know, important part of yourself that you feel like, well, you know, if I just leave it in the activity section or trust that my teachers, you know, are bringing it out in their recommendations, um, I might have missed the opportunity to advocate for myself in many ways. Um, I often say, and I'm not going to go total tangent here, but when I applied to Notre Dame years ago, um, one of the questions of the, you know, why Notre Dame there's so many opportunities similar to so many schools that ask, why do you want to go here? That I always encourage students, you know, scoot way past the, uh, you know, kind of the basics of the beauty of the campus and the mm-hmm. rah-rah spirit and all of that stuff and get right to the heart of it. And I remember distinctly writing about faith. And as a public school student, how did the faith community at Notre Dame kind of draw me in and make me want it? And it was... Mm-hmm probably unexpected, (laughs) you know, that I, as a public school student, maybe would have written that and it was nowhere else in an application. But I I always say to that to students is, you know, when they see your transcript and when they see all these other parts of it, what might they not be seeing? What's the conversation that maybe is really important to you and they're allowing to come out in one of these, oftentimes, the questions they've given when they give options. I've given you that opportunity to speak. Yeah. Take that opportunity. There's a real positive impact that could be made with these, and there's also there's also a negative one. And if you, you know, I think uh, um, you know, our colleague was just talking about, um, you know, Stanford using an essay prompt in particular that um, if if students didn't put the right kind of effort into that, could really sink mm-hmm. their whole application. And this this happened to me at Reed all the time. If somebody wrote a dashed off why Reed that showed that they didn't really get it, even if the rest of their app was strong, that would put them in a different pile. So, you know, you have to be thoughtful about um, how you respond to these, not just from a positive virtue, but also in in terms of showing that, hey, this, this, you care enough to put energy and thought into what the school is asking. Absolutely. 
or accept the consequences. <laughs> or accept the consequences. <laughs> great, yeah. great place to yeah. end. <laughs> and I think. Yeah, um, and I will say Amherst, their supplements are one for I've seen students walk away and say, I don't feel I can respond to those with any weight. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, good for you. Yeah, then you don't need to apply there, right? <laughs> you're you're going to get more of this when you end up at that, at that campus. Um, Kara, I want to thank you for uh, taking a break out of reading essays to, to talk to us about essays. And um, <laughs> I'm glad uh, that we had a chance to talk about these. Thanks so much. That was really fun. Awesome. Uh, folks, when we come back, we'll be talking about the uh, student loan repayment planning. So uh, if you know a recent or soon-to-be college grad, or even if you are one, you won't want to miss it. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My Favorite Coffee Story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to the show. Before we get into our finance segment for today, I'd like to turn to our school spotlight today, Elon University. Given its ideal size, perfect weather, and historic 656-acre campus, it's no wonder that this private liberal arts university is such an attractive option for students from across the country. At Elon in Elon, North Carolina, students can study everything from applied mathematics to media analytics. Most students enroll in the College of Arts and Sciences, which in addition to offering traditional BA and BS degree programs, also confers the BFA in fields such as studio art, acting, musical theater, and dance performance and choreography. Beyond its traditional majors and minors in fields like accounting and entrepreneurship, the School of Business offers a unique dual degree program for students seeking an immersive international experience. After spending two years on Elon's campus, students in the business dual degree program then complete their studies at a partner university in Germany, France, Italy, or Spain, ultimately earning two bachelor degrees in four years. Elon's popular core curriculum ensures that all students receive a healthy variety of coursework from a range of disciplines, but the university's required experience experiential learning component ensures that 100% of graduates participate in an internship, study abroad experience, research opportunity, service learning project, or assume a leadership position before they graduate. An impressive 78% of undergraduates study abroad during their time at Elon. And approximately 100% of Elon students pay something for their education, and it's likely you will too, wherever you go. So let's get into some college finance talk. Joining me from the Midwest is my old pal, Michelle Richardson, who's going to walk us through some important considerations for loan repayment. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thanks, Ian. So last week, uh, our finance expert, Tara, provided some info and resources on how to track down student loans and what is most important to look for when we begin to repay them. We want to go a little further and talk about various repayment plans and whether or not it's a good idea to refinance student loans. So this is part two. And if you want to hear part one, go on back to the archives, listen to last week's show. Let's start with, with this question. I, you know, I didn't realize that student loan borrowers have options when it comes time to repay their loans. Um, don't most loans offer a standard repayment term? So that's a good question. So yes, in a uh, perfect world, the borrowers who have any federal loans, such as the federal direct loan, they are set to have a standard repayment amount and a set term. Typically, it's 10 years. However, certain situations might come up for student borrowers that maybe that set payment amount that is amortized over 10 years maybe is too high and doesn't work within their budget. So the federal government does offer about eight different repayment plans for federal student loans that some people are not aware of. Um, Some borrowers can extend their repayment term from 10 years to all the way up to 25 years during uh, what they call an extended repayment plan. Um, There's also a graduated repayment plan. So if you're a borrower that is maybe starting out with a lower salary and you expect to really uh, gain some income every couple years, um, a graduated repayment program might be for you where the payment amount starts small and then it increases over every two years um, over time. So, um, and then if a borrower ends up having income challenges and uh, maybe their debt level is too high or they have a loss of income, there are 
uh, different federal repayment plans that are what they call income-driven repayment programs. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a lot of information and in, in eligibility requiring these programs, but um, it's good for borrowers to know that uh, the government and the servicers are willing to work with them if they run into repayment um, issues. Right, and so it, it all seems fairly personalized, and it's good to know there's a lot of different options and opportunities out there. What, what are some reasons that federal student loan borrowers would, would want to change their repayment term? Yep, that's a um, good question. So there's a lot of different reasons. You know, personal uh, changes happen. Maybe you were a, a single borrower, and then maybe a couple years later you get married, and then you start having children, and maybe your spouse uh, no longer works. And so there might be uh, not only an increase in family size, but also a decrease in household income. That could be um, a reason. Also, if somebody were, was to become unemployed, um, lose income, or have a significant change in their financial situation, um, it might warrant them to change their repayment plan and extend it uh, for a short-term uh, strategy or solution to help with their household cash flow. Um, and, you know, we hear a lot about rising student debt, and that would not only include federal student loans, but also we have a lot of borrowers that have private student loans as well. Um, those loans might be a variable rate loan, or maybe they are at a higher interest rate. So from a financial perspective, it might make sense to strategize and extend your federal loan payments out and get those payments lower so you can pay off those variable rate or higher interest rate loans that are maybe um, what you have on the private loan side. So those are some reasons that a lot of borrowers might look for uh, a different repayment plan. Yeah. Now, whenever I hear you come on the show or, or other of our finance experts uh, my head is always spinning with all the, the information that's out there. It's it's hard for me to keep track. How can federal student loan borrowers um, obtain information, determine if they're eligible for things like a repayment plan? Are there resources that they can go to to do some reading and research to identify their eligibility? Yes, absolutely. So there is a lot of information out on the federal student aid website, which is called studentaid.ed.gov. Um, or uh, borrowers can always contact their federal loan servicer. Their servicer is the entity that they're sending their payments to. Um, They should always be uh, in communication with their servicer if they run into any repayment um, issues. And one item um, to note is some borrowers may not know that you can change your repayment plan at any time with the Federal Department of Education. So um, know that just because you didn't do it right out of the gate when you graduated from college doesn't mean that you couldn't do it five years into repayment or eight years into repayment. And um, the studentaid.gov website also has a great repayment estimator. Like I said earlier, there's a lot of different federal loan repayment programs, and there's a lot of eligibility requirements. 
such as family size, discretionary income levels. So uh, they can actually check their eligibility with that calculator before they contact their loan servicer. Now, there's, there's a lot of buzz currently about student loan refinancing. Um, and people are talking about this. It's a big topic of conversation. What What is the buzz about student loan refinancing, and, and is this something that is a good idea uh, for borrowers? Um, so based on the fact that interest rates have been historically low the last couple years, but we know that they are starting to increase, uh, increase um, student loan refinancing has been uh, a popular option for some student loan borrowers, especially those savvy ones who maybe want to reduce their interest rate um, or simplify their repayment strategy. Um, When you refinance your student loans, you can refinance your federal loans into a private student loan, or you can also combine and take your private student loans um, and your federal loans and refinance all of them and bundle them into this one uh, refinance loan to, uh, you know, make one payment instead of several. But there's a lot of factors to consider on whether or not a person should refinance. Um, Borrowers should really compare all of the terms of the loan and not just the interest rate. Oftentimes, I think borrowers just look at, okay, I just want to get a lower interest rate. Um, the private loan uh, market does offer both variable and fixed rate options for refinancing, but borrowers are going to want to think about if there are any loan fees attached, any prepayment penalties, um, the length of repayment. One thing that people don't often understand is if I've already been paying on my student loans for four years and then I refinance, um, my my loan period actually starts over. So some people may even be extending and not even realizing that because you're basically taking all of your old debt and putting it into a new loan. And like I said earlier with the federal student loans, there's a lot of repayment options and federal provisions that are in built into the federal loan program. So Borrowers are going to want to be aware of that because they lose those protections if they refinance with a private student loan. So they might lose their public uh, for, uh, their public service loan forgiveness if they work in that industry. Or if they're an undergraduate and they want to go to grad school, they will lose their in-school deferment options. So that is another thing that borrowers are going to want to be aware of and Also, one other final point is just Mm -hmm. making sure that as they're considering refinancing, they know what their credit score is and they know what their uh, credit report looks like. Um, A lot of times the refinance loans may have low interest rates, but each lender has very specific criteria in order to be approved to refinance. And so some borrowers, especially if they just graduated, they don't have the credit history. Um, And so they might still require a cosigner or they might not even be approved uh, for the refinance. So that's another thing to consider. 
Awesome. Well, Michelle, I want to thank you for your time and your your expertise and thoroughness as always. And that brings us to the end of today's show, getting in. Uh, next week, Beth Heaton will be back in the hosting chair to talk about how to react and respond to deferral decisions. And we'll be answering some of your listener questions in a double segment. Until then, enjoy the remaining days of your semester and enjoy the winter break. Uh, I'll be back to do our final show of the year. I look forward to closing 2018 out with all of you. Have a terrific weekend. And thank as always for joining us. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.